Hello, and welcome to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. And I'm Tanya Bevan. And today we're doing a little bit of freestyle. Uh, We actually have our guest in-house for the rest of our recording of this podcast episode. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Angie Kaplan's here, and we did start off our interview in a live format as a part of the... Sonar Network's launch at Bad Dog Theatre. So Angie, thank you for coming back and finishing off the interview with us in studio. Well, thank you for having me. For those who weren't present at the live taping, uh, maybe you can just give a little bit of a spiel about yourself. Tell us where you're from, who you are. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm from Toronto and I started out in acting and uh, and just doing um, sketch comedy and stand-up and improv and from there kind of just developed into writing for web series and then I got started writing into uh, features and right now I wrote a uh, comedy feature that I will be directing next year. Sweet! Yeah. What's the fe- comedy feature called right now, your working title? The working title is Bad Advice. <laughs> but there's a lot of bad titles out there, so I, <laughs> so I, I was most likely going to change. <laughs> it might change and take my advice. So yeah. Is it take your advice? Is it bad <laughs> advice because it's uh, it's all about bad advice in life that you get? Oh, it is. So uh, I guess I should tell you the premise. Uh, so it's about a narcissistic a narcissistic life coach, <laughs> and she gets sued from her clients. Uh, for ruining her life and now she's on this journey of saving her business and she just keeps making things worse. Does that come from any personal experience? Uh, It comes from, uh, sadly enough, the main character, the life coach, is sort of my alter ego. Nice. (laughs) She says things that I wish I could say but I know are inappropriate. Uh, So if I was careless, these are the things that I think about. This is what happens on my brain so it's uh, yeah, so, and also some other people that I know, but mostly she's me, and it's, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> That's the joy of it. I know that like, reads the script, they're like, Angie, you're a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> you're like, wait, this is supposed to be you? This yeah. is like, you really think about the world in us? <laughs> like, maybe? Like, she's not wrong, but she's, her tactics are wrong. <laughs> but that's the yeah. joy of writing and of being able to write, like, especially with comedy, because mm-hmm. it, it really is that, that filterless sort of freedom where you get to literally say whatever you want and then rein it back. Like before we started yeah. recording, we were talking about the, the way that we filter ourselves in terms of like swear words around children and how you do, you speak to everybody differently. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the fact that you don't hold yourself back when you go to write stuff like that because yeah. there are already going to be people who are going to reshape the story, whether it's producers or other people who have their own creative input that want to shape it afterwards. Yeah, I, I love writing assholes because I identify. <laughs> this but is your I, warning. If there are children in the car while you're listening, yes. there will be swearing on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I love comedy because you can go so over the top with it or mm-hmm. you can you can say extreme things uh and just hide behind characters so that's that that's something that that character would say so it's okay uh, or it's believable or you get where they're coming from because they're deranged and uh, unstable so uh or if someone's very meek and sweet that's also really fun too because everything is ooh, i don't know this and that's also a side of me so I feel like I can explore different parts of my identity <laughs> in different characters so it's and just um, exploit it and, and, and exaggerate it how do you find uh, when you come to character writing it, it's it's fun to take that like one facet of yourself and push it to the extremes but do you ever find that you get um, like, how do you still keep the complexity and not just keep it one-dimensional if you're picking that one facet per character? Yeah, I think of them as if I were to have a conversation, what would they say? 
So when I write a scene and two people are going back and forth, uh, their voices are in my head and I think the logical next words would be this because I'm, I don't know if it's because of the acting background I have, but I just kind of play it out in my mind. If I was this person, this would naturally be the next thing I would say. Or if someone said something to me, if they set up something and they said, how could you, you know, order fish when you're allergic? And if the person is that kind of person that would do that, they could just be like, well, future me will, will deal with it. And it was just, you know. <laughs> future me. <laughs> is that something that would naturally come out of your mouth? I'm like, yeah, I am risking my life to eat something that yeah. I really want, but the want is winning. Yeah. Future Angie will me is it. super happy. Future me is going to be real mad. So <laughs> it's a very um, in the moment response and it sounds like it does come from like the improv background or the improv uh, is that your phone? <laughs> it is. I'm oh, sorry. God. I so, know. It's so anti. Yeah. <laughs> but it does sound like a very improv-based um, growth into the character or discovery of the character yeah. that like you're living in that moment and and removing all the filters allowed. Yeah, and you have a split second to make a decision on what you're gonna do and. Even in the moment, you don't. If you don't really realize what your character is, but you commit, it still works. Even though it's not, you haven't sat down and fleshed out the character on stage. You're there, and you gotta commit and go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that background really helps with character. Unfortunately, uh, well, character and, and dialogue is my strength. Story, I'm really lazy. So I got that's something I have to really work on. And actually, and I learned a lot with this with this uh, comedy. Was I had this uh, mentor Jeremy Lalonde that kind of, that really pushed me to say, you know, I love Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all of his notes, I knew the script wasn't there. Whenever I'd send it to him for notes, I knew what was wrong with it. But I was, I just did push myself to really think about it. And sometimes you're so stuck on the draft that you have that you can't think outside it. So you, it's good to have that outsider be like. It doesn't have to go this way. You can completely change things around or cut people out, add different characters, change com- characters completely. You can do so much and it'll make it better. It won't diminish it. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of completely remolding that forces you to think outside what you have that I really struggle with. Or I'm like, well, but it's like this. Mm-hmm. So how do I, yeah. It's just, sometimes now I just call people up and just talk out loud. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they throw an idea and I go, oh, okay, and that just, like, spirals into that. Like, yeah, with, with the table read. Yeah. That, that helps me because, yeah, you guys help tremendously. And I said, all right, well, thanks. <laughs> Fair warning, I've already read the script. We've read it. We know the whole screenplay. I love it. I'm really excited. I, I, I hope it gets made very soon. Yeah. I want to see that kind of fruition. Um, it's really cool to hear you talk about, like, having those... Being able to talk out loud, like saying it out loud, it's funny how it, sure, we know that, like we've heard that, and and it makes me think of therapy, like when you actually say something out loud, it's literally just having that person who has either a subjective or an objective outlook on what you have to say, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even really matter, it's the fact that the way that you're hearing yourself say it to another human being, you actually hear it in a different way, and then, and having having that that guide that allows you to see that you can go in directions that you never thought you were going to go in. Yeah. I, I had the same sort of experience just happen recently with um, one of my favorite coaches here in Toronto, acting coaches, Louis Bomander. I'm taking, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm taking classes with him right now. And this specific class that I'm in, oh, there's drilling. There's drilling in the studio. Sorry. If you yeah. can hear him. Zoom, zoom. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Tanya just admitted it was her farting. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, the, we had for breakfast. Louis, <laughs> <laughs> um, in one of my last classes with him, I did a scene that he, and he's very selective about the works that he gives you, and... My bad. That's my fault now. We're all assholes today. No, my phone is on silent. I double checked and triple checked. Um, that was my computer because they're connected. That's Uh, weird. Anyway, so Lewis chose a scene for me that he 
knew was going to trigger something. Um, and he's very good at knowing where his students are at and, and what they need to kind of like break through at that time. Mm -hmm. So he gave me this piece and um, the character's name's Molly. And as soon as I sit, sit down, he's like, so do you see any part of Molly in yourself? Is there something that you can like, connect with? Like, but he like asked me in this way where he's like, I know, like I, I already know the answer to this. This is, this is just rhetorical. Yeah, he's like, have you gotten there? Yeah, <laughs> and there? it's like I literally, it was this weird moment where I like, I didn't even, I just nodded, like I couldn't even, because it was an emotional scene. Yeah. I, I just nodded, and we went into it, and I immediately, it was the first time reading it. Um, uh, actually, the exercise that we did is going to be my one cool thing, so I'll, I'll wait to tell you what the exercise is until Ooh. the end of our, our podcast. Lovely. But the feedback that I ended up getting, because as soon as we started, I just could not help but start dropping fucking tears, and they just didn't stop. Like, the water flow turned on, whatever that oh, pressure man. point was, and I'm like, I know exactly, yes, I found the connection, and there's the pressure point, but I didn't have, like, control over the valve, so it was just like, floodgates! And the whole mm -hmm. take was was me, like, it had moments of levity, like, yeah, I had, I was laughing, but I was still laughing through the tears, like, I just couldn't stop with the tears. And, um, and so after the exercise, we get to say, you know, like, what what our take is or like what we think we would want to do differently or, or basically just he gives us a chance to analyze ourselves first and like my, my analysis was um was a little bit cookie cutter I think um and it was advice or coaching that I had received from a a, a coach long ago where I did a very similar thing and cried for, right from the, the beginning and and that previous coach said basically you blew your load way too soon. Like you got, <laughs> if, if the whole point, like every scene has that structure, that climactic point where if you're going to move into the emotion, then you should be, if you're going to drop a tear, you, you drop it at that climactic point. But I was just kind of like, ejaculate the tears all over from the very beginning. And like, just cannot stop. Yeah, you, that was also a very emotional scene. I think it was like a scene about rape or something. So yeah. it, it was something that I, again, it was like upon first read, hot trigger right from the beginning and just like bald. And the advice that Lewis gave me when I said that about myself was who's to say, first of all, that that's not how the scene starts and, and that, you know, you're already limiting yourself when you tell yourself that you aren't giving yourself anywhere to grow because you've like given it all at the beginning. Who's to say that you're not going to grow into a different emotion? Like mm -hmm. it might be the pendulum, like, when Robert McKee talks about moving from that negative to a positive and a positive to a negative, it can go either way in a yeah. scene. And I didn't even consider, for some reason, just like crying because it's one of those things that in the acting world and like audiences, anybody who's like, you can cry like command or like you can cry or like, a, 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 first of all, you can use tear sticks on the day. So whether or not you can cry on command, who cares? Um, my Kaylee just jacked off into the air. Just that, you know. I was rolling dice. Jacked off. Jacked off. Jacked that, this was me rolling dice. When uh, I say who cares, I make the motion of rolling. Yeah, I was jacking mm, off. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but that's the thing because because it is mistakenly something that is like coveted, quote unquote. That who cares? It's not really about that. Whether or not yeah. you actually anybody can like fake cry and yeah. still look stupid doing it. So. Um, it was really cool to hear that thing that allowed me to be like, oh, shit, you can definitely grow into a different thing that I never saw possible because I had that pile on. I already had that, yeah. like, hindrance. If it's so, honest, who cares? Yeah. Exactly. Like, I find, uh, I mean, actually, um, just learn something. I, I can't, I'm really embarrassed that I didn't know what this was or what it was called, but it's called reading lines to an actor. Which is, and I just learned this, and I know what it is, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Like, it, give me a line read? A line read, yeah. Is that what I, what did I say? You said reading lines to an actor, but. Oh, I, yeah, line read. Okay, there, them a yeah, line right? Read. You're okay. right, yeah. <sighs> okay, so. <laughs> oh, okay, so what are your thoughts on giving yeah. line reads? So, what it is, that people like yeah, me did not know, and read? should know, uh, it's when a director mimics exactly how they want the line to be done. And says that it, always, says yeah, it. it literally says it in the motion and exactly how they want it done. Usually this happens at commercials, so who cares? Uh, because it has to be done specifically because it's a commercial. So, yeah. But in a film, it's very strange to do that because uh, it's not honest. 
when an actor does it. So if then they're just mimicking at that point. Yeah, it presents the question yeah. of, like, is this art anymore if you're... You're a puppet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I know it kind of hurts the actor's egos, and I, the, there's some stupid arguments for directors. They say, well, I don't have time for you to get there. It's, it, but at the same time, you're ruining the rest of the process. So you may have that one line, but you completely threw off your actor. Mm-hmm. So they're no longer in the moment. They're no longer, like, you are now wasting time because they have to get back to where they were, and and also if that confuses them. If you confuse the delivery or you frustrated them, then it's just like we got to start all over. Because they're already in the moment, they're already there, and then you just threw them off. So, uh, and then, and as an actor, yeah, it's super annoying because uh, you're like, well, why am I here? Why don't you just mm-hmm. do this? Then? I, I, it's just, yeah. So, um, it is kind of, it's a mix of ego, but it's also a process. And you have to respect the process. Yeah. Because if you don't get the performance, then you're screwed. No matter how much money you got in this movie, no matter the effects or anything, if you do not have a good performance, people are out of the film. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like I've seen movies that are really good, but the performances are not, and you're completely out of the film. So, it doesn't work as well. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's, it, I think it comes down to communication. Um, and as an actor, I think it, it benefits you to go learn what a gaffer does, to go learn how lighting affects you, to go learn yeah. what, like, le- also learn how to write. Because the more that you understand how to write, the more you understand how to tell story, the more you understand your character. And, oh, and to harken back on something that you mentioned before, character versus story, like, I think they're the same. I think that they are so intertwined. To say that you're not good at story, I, I beg to differ. Because I also, I've read some of your material, and I love your material, and I think you're a good storyteller. Yeah. Um, but care, to, to understand story, like, you, or to understand your character, you have to just understand how you're serving the story. So in the end, if we're all working towards building the same thing and you have this screenplay, which is that blueprint, then we all need to understand what the communication around that involves. Yeah. And, you know, you can be the best actor in the world, but if you're also not hitting your light and nobody sees your performance, yeah. the fact that you didn't understand how light even affected your performance now hinders you greatly. And I, I was just talking to um, one of the classes at uh, one of the local Toronto film schools about this, we went into Derek Gilmore and I went in to do a demonstration for a, a class, be guest speakers, and and the whole conversation ended up being about the communication between directors and actors, because most of the students in the class were directors and they wanted to become yeah. filmmakers. Um, so really, that was that was all we were really good for is being able to like be the actor and, and talk about how that relationship can be built and like some of the downfalls and um, yeah. some of the pitfalls to avoid mm-hmm. and. And, and we kept coming back to this, and line reading was one of the things that came up, and one of the, which I was so happy one of the students asked about this, you know, how do you feel about line reading? Like, thank you, because a lot of don't, directors don't... Don't do it. All don't. the best directors don't do it. Well, Honestly, so I'm you say, say ask. I've like, never had line reads. But again, I've also, I, I don't do commercials, like, I haven't done commercials mm-hmm. where I had to speak. So yeah. maybe, like you said, it is different in that. Like, even line, like, like I never, guess line read on a look, and they're like, I want it to, and sometimes they mimic it, but, which is helpful, because it's commercial, so yeah. who cares? You are a puppet, so, and you know what the that's deal so is. that's so frustrating. This isn't an art in a commercial. You literally are there to sell something, so I get that, because I still disagree with agent, some of that. <laughs> the agent is there, or not the agent, the client is there, and they want a specific look. They're like, mm-hmm. they don't want you to seem bitchy, but they want you to seem frustrated, but, like, pleasantly frustrated. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, and sometimes those directions are really stupid, so it helps to have it mimicked to you. So you're like, oh, okay, even though I never mimic. It's, I feel it's kind of useless because as an actor, I never mimic anyways because I'm not in your brain. But it's, it's useless either way. Because it's not going to happen, yeah. anyways. And there you're just are moments. An actor, so. There are moments, like if if a if an actor asks for a line or if a director does feel like they need like it. it again, it comes back to the relationship and and mm-hmm. what that communication looks like. At first, you have to understand how your actor wants to be directed, and and that's kind of the challenge yeah. I think as directors take acting classes and understand what that process is like for an actor and what language they're using to get there so that you're also using language they understand. 
And and it, I think it's perfectly okay to say, do you want a lime read? Like, is that something that can help in this situation? Yeah. But yeah. especially with commercials, it is frustrating. Like in in commercials, when uh, you hear this way too often, it's like, great, do that, but like happier. I'm like, yeah. Oh <laughs> my god, if I hear somebody say, just look happier, or like do it now with a smile, like. It, yeah, it's that's not that it's so off. Like commercials are the worst. They just are soul sucking, but they pay so well that you're just like you have to remind yourself you're like, okay, you just think of the money and then that makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the only way you get through a commercial is reminding yourself, I'm doing this for the money. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm literally being a whore right now. This is what I'm yeah. No actor gets into acting because they're like, I'm gonna do commercial work. It's just people are like, I can do that and they get into commercial work. Yeah. No one is a real actor in commercials. So Oh, I signed up to be an actor because I wanted to help big companies make more money and just yeah. sell their products. I want to sell a Keurig. That's what I want to do. That's the funny know? thing now is like you see all these commercials now and it's like real people, not actors. Oh my god, you know? it's like, oh, that is <laughs> fuck is that? Like seriously, am I not a real person? I'm and just, know what? I'm no just real person is that acting. excited about a Chevrolet, let me tell you right now. Right. <laughs> that, that is one of the most Where did you find things? these people? That, that has to be the longest process. Or like even finding breakdowns. real people are that excited yeah. at the same time or like, about a stupid track. Yeah. Or breakdowns on like Facebook that you see, like, I don't know, Jigsaw puts them up once in a while and it's like, looking for real people. And I'm like, come on now. They yeah, don't understand. Doors. Yeah, they right. don't they understand all the time. that's the job of an actor, and so they're, they're looking for people who will come off as real. The funny thing is that they're getting the complete opposite, and it takes a longer day to try to get a real performance out of somebody who hasn't studied acting in yeah. the first place. It's so backwards in thinking. <laughs> and yeah, commercial directors especially, because they're also, I mean... I, I, I haven't really met too many commercial directors who got into it because they wanted to be commercial directors. It's um, money. It is. Again, <laughs> like, no just like an actor. no one is doing commercials for so the love of the work. Everyone's doing it for the money. It's and I think that's really where well. the care factor yeah. also for them, maybe it's not something that, like, they don't care all that much and they, they don't worry about the communication and they give a direction that is very end of the process oriented as opposed to, like, figuring out what that process is and communicating in that region. Just the end result is that I want you to look happy. So instead of telling you something like you you just got the gift that you you wanted as a 16-year-old, you got that car that you're, you asked your dad for, um, or like you just fell in love for the first moment, like giving them something that can play as opposed to happy. Yeah, happy is not playable. That's they're an going through the motions. They're, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, now mm-hmm. be happy. <laughs> yeah. Now you're happy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got this pen. And it's like a magical pen. See, that would be a, dir- a thing. But you're like, you got this pen, now you're happy. <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, be happy. You know that word. Okay, bye. That's <laughs> but I, what I don't understand, I, I mean, I'm sure some directors do this, but what I plan on doing, and I don't understand why this isn't done, but why directors just don't ask ahead of time what their process is, because everyone's different. So why don't you just adapt to the actor's process because that's your job anyways. You really don't, like, directors have a process, I think, in terms of um, the look and what how they achieve something. But to have, I think, I don't even believe it. I mean, I am a new director, so what the hell do I know? But I don't think there is a process to get somewhere because you're working with different people every time and you are at the mercy of those people. Well, so, and that's the thing. I think so the process at the end changes. of the day, your, your process is yes or no. Your <laughs> process, I think, changes. And I think that yeah. directors are holding, like, directors are, are very pivotal in the entire process. Not only are you working with diff- different people on every different project that you're doing, but every different person has their own process. So really, you need to know how to communicate with lighting. You need to know how, you need to know all the lenses. You need to know how to tell story from so many different facets. You need to know how actors tell story, how writers tell story, how cinematographers tell story. Um, yeah. And... And yeah, and every every actor as well, like just to narrow it down into that one um, category of person that you're dealing with on set, every actor has his or her own process. But on something like um, commercial, I understand like there isn't enough time to have yeah. those conversations and learn everybody so quickly. Mm-hmm. So to, to hire somebody, I mean, when you hire an actor, you're telling them, I trust you to do your job. Yeah. So it is, to go back to what you're talking about at the very beginning, a bit offensive to then be given that line read, it really is a slap in the face where you sit back and go, 
did you not hire me because you trusted me? And also going back to you saying how directors should take classes, because in classes we're always taught if a director is having to actually direct you, you're not doing your job properly. At least in the classes I'm taking, is if a director Ooh, really? has to, if a director has to yeah. take time out of their, like I mean I understand if you want it a certain way, it's your story, right. it's your baby. But for instance, like on TV shows and stuff, if a director has to take time to get away from that screen and say, okay, no, I need you to do it this way or this way or this way, means you didn't get the story right of how they want you to be playing it. So it's oh, I don't know like, how I feel about that. I, know, I get I that agree, TV is yeah. faster than film, yeah. so. Yeah. It is more challenging to again have those conversations. Yeah. But I, uh, I was it's like, also it's that, it is very if it's a show, 50. it has a tone. It has yeah. a and system. you're not doing your job properly. And if for you instance. are, and if you're a guest role, you should be watching um, that show. You got yeah. You go definitely on, have to watch know? that show. You Agreed. have to stay within the tone. Um, so maybe that's what the coach yeah. That said but if that you're like saying, Ali like, and you've been doing it yeah, for a yeah, while, yeah. it's strange that a director be like, I want it done this way. Yeah, totally. Usually at that point, if, if you're a, a lead in a show, you're like, no, no, it's going to be done this way. Yeah, So Because totally. you've ha- owned that character for so yeah. long, you kind of own it in a sense. I because, mean, yeah. do, like the director in a TV show, like, eat a dick. But, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I agree. But like, I say that as a director. So, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you're on their turf. Um, but, so let's say, for instance, in a movie, um... Completely. There, there was a really interesting interview with Matt Damon. He talked about Steven Soderbergh. And the best advice he got from him was um, he would tell him, you're in the wrong movie. Huh? So okay. no, I Because that's about it. the tone. So, you know, in some it. improv ex- exercises, ugh, exercises yeah. they say, um, they give you the, Genre? you know, who are you? Oh, what, who, what, where? Who, what's your relationship with this person? What's, what's happening? Um, and uh, they said, okay, uh, what's the tone? And they ask you what the movie reference is. So if you say it's uh, Evil Dead, then you're doing it in the tone of Evil Dead. If you say it's um, The Holiday, then you're doing it in the tone of The Holiday. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a movie, sometimes it's supposed to... Uh, so for, for instance, I can't remember what movie it was, but anyways, that day when was in this courtroom... And he did it very serious, and he goes, you are in the wrong movie. This is Happy Days. So this is, um, maybe not Happy Days, it's the wrong reference. So um, he goes, this is his time to shine. He's milking it. He doesn't believe what he's saying. He wants you to believe what they're saying. So that's a completely different tone Mm -hmm, from what he was mm -hmm, giving. mm -hmm. So it's just a good check of being like, no, 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 this is, the tone. This is you know because the yeah the actor only holds that character. The director holds the whole film with the whole tone and every little piece. So he's just reminding you of what piece this is. Yeah, giving you a reference of another category, giving you a reference of like a genre or that that even if it's something new, like mm-hmm. for instance, a lot of the shows that we do here in Toronto and Canada. There, we can figure out that tone because we, we basically make copycats of what has already been made a couple years ago on HBO. Canada tends to, unfortunately, we don't really have a lot of new material um, to give us those challenges, but it gives us the upper hand as actors to be like, cool, I know what that vein is, I know what that category, like if it's yeah. something that's very House of Cards, or like now we have um, a the, the crime show or cop show, Rookie Blue, which has been mimicked off of, I don't know, like a CSI or I guess... A little bit different. I don't know yeah. what the cop shows are. <laughs> I don't Working watch television. Still going on. I, I thought that's done. I thought that they were in like another. Oh Is well, it? guys, it was the first cop show that was Canadian that came to my mind. <laughs> but like to have those references, it is it's playable. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it again kind of makes that question of like, is this art if we're also not just like finding it on our own and discovering it on our own? But yeah, on television, especially when it's moving that quickly, to mm-hmm. give that kind of reference, like, you know how to adjust yourself. And it is an improv yeah. game. It's like seen three ways, but done with different genres. You do a scene and it's very bland, and then you just repeat the exact same words, like do the scene again, mm-hmm. but in do it as a Western now, and then you repeat it again, but now do it as a rom-com. You literally, the inflection, the tonality of it, it mm-hmm. it's the how you're doing it, it's not what you're saying, or like what the... Yeah, it's, it's how is. you're, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that does and change it. Yeah, and I, I think it's just really, I think it, 
I, I plan on having rehearsals. I don't want to, you know, yeah. squeeze a lemon too hard. But uh, no, of course. But yeah. I want. I would like to have rehearsals just so everyone is on board with the tone. And yeah, there's a timing in each scene. Um, so my plan is to kind of um, actually time out each scene, have each scene marked with like a metronome, like number, so they can kind of like when they read on it, the read it with the rhythm. So, because um, it's comedy is, is very similar to music. There's um, it, the joke is only going to work if you hit the beats. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of it is using a metronome before. I'm a drummer, so <laughs> that helps too. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a very specific um, tempo to the script. So um, as comedy does, it has its yeah, own tempo. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, it, like I'm not saying you have to do it in that tempo, but it's just a reference point. Mm. I don't know if it's going to help or not. If you choose to use it, that's cool. But at least that gives you a guide of like, oh, okay, this is the beat to you the scene. totally that's have really to videotape like the table read with a metronome because that would be so fun to watch. I don't, like, I don't know if that's going to stress people out there. They're going to be like, oh, don't, oh, don't, don't say it. To no, God, don't, 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 don't tell it to the camera. Just have like one of those, like, just be jokes. I'm, I personally, I feel like I would be stressed out with something like that. That is very stressful to have a... Totally, but... If that's like a click... A clicker going? That's gonna make people go mental. <laughs> that's just like playing you the piano, though. Like when you're practicing with the piano and a metronome. Yeah, yeah. Use metronome. Oh god, I do. Right. Not and I get that would drive clickers drive me mental. I can't do it. <laughs> I, I had to do it one time in the studio and I almost cried. <laughs> I get that comedy is very measured and it is yeah. like music in that sense, and it does like every genre has its own rhythm. Mm-hmm. What I I, I would be interested in doing it's it just because it sounds like yeah. it's very different yeah, than I've ever tried it before, be but fun. I will be very honest, this does make me, um, like exactly what we were just talking about, if you're hiring somebody who knows comedy, for instance, because I've been doing comedy for so long, yeah. if you're asking somebody to come into a project and, and saying, I trust you, I know you have comedy, but now let me tell you what comedy actually is, or like, here's a, like, literally directing with a metronome to the second to find yeah. your beat, I would... I would immediately not only get like very nervous thinking like, oh, maybe I don't know comedy if this person's trying to tell me how to do comedy right. and like tell me that I don't understand that genre anymore. But like the ticking sound, now it's like the, the ticking clock in, in Hook in Peter Pan. Like <laughs> that is my heart. I'm just like anxious person. For you. <laughs> I would God say lives. do not do it then. It's there if you want it. If you're curious about... I'm so curious. How it reads. Oh, I want to try it now. Yeah, it's it's there to try. I'm not saying this is your homework, you must do it. But I think it's an interesting, like, because then that way everyone is on board. Everyone gets it. So instead of, um, it's, I'm just kind of displaying what the movie's going to look like, Mm. what it's going to sound like uh, before even going to set. So that way... It's clear. I just want to make it as clear as possible to everyone what everything's going to look like. Because I find, I, I think it's me, I just feel really scared about my communication. So I just want to make sure everyone is on board with what the vision is and what the tone is uh, beforehand. And Because uh, I have been on set where it sounds direct, the, the scene when I describe it sounds really stupid. But then when they see it on playback, they fall in love. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it also prevents, well, this is more like with men, but <laughs> it prevents being questioned. Mm. So unfortunately, it's happened enough that I feel like I need that prep to not be questioned. And so people know, and mm. also maybe it could be because I'm a woman and I just want to ensure, and it's my first film, I want to ensure people, listen, I know what I'm doing and I know what I want so if everyone can see it maybe they'll be more on board or they'll feel more in good hands Mm. Uh, I hope you do record it because I I am very fascinated (laughs) to like I want to be there I want to be part of it but I um, I mean, I've had the complete opposite happen. I was just had recently. I was talking to uh, Tiana. We did a, a film together where we were talking about how we had a very opposite experience in the in the way that 
we had very little direction on set um, and on a feature where we felt there was breathable room to actually have that direction and we were looking for the direction but we didn't feel like we were getting a lot of it and um, we really were only communicated at the onset that our characters had uh, a lot of quirkiness to it and that it was going to be cut into um, a little bit of a sarcastic tone like it had comedy undertones in it but afterwards because as you say the story is in the director's hands and the way that it was cut it was not cut with comedic timing it was cut into a heavier dramatic tone so we both felt that our characters were we, we popped out a lot with those but like our performances were comedy that was the rhythm because that's the only really communication we were given at the onset. Well, when you saw you saw the so you saw the final cut yeah. of it. So did it work? Were you guys the comic relief, or did it work in terms of the whole thing? That was the interesting. Sorry, God. <sighs> uh, speak of the devil, Tiana. <laughs> um, that that was the interesting thing. We both um, got similar feedback from. Relax, Tiana. I don't know how to turn the sound off, so I'm so sorry. Uh, we, we both got similar feedback in terms of our performance being um, enjoyable in, in the sense that people liked the <laughs> comedy. Oh, the rule of three. The rule of three for comedy. Yeah. She knows it. I get um, more. <laughs> but overall, no, it, it, it just work. it didn't fit. It, it because yeah. it wasn't. Like, the entire thing wasn't done, it wasn't cut to match those performances, and the other performances were not... So it just looked completely misplaced. It, it was, it seemed misplaced, yeah. And okay, well then that's just bad direction. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because sometimes Woody Allen gives zero direction because he just wants actors to play, mm-hmm. and, um, but it works. So, I mean, it, it, it really depends, I guess, but then again, yeah. everyone's seen Woody Allen films, so they, yeah. you know... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So it's like, where's very, the it's, balance? It's really, yeah. There's some people. Some people are just shitty directors. I don't know. <laughs> There's a, well, I don't even know what. I just don't know, man. Some, but sometimes it does work. I got nothing. I, here's my advice. Like, I don't want to speak ill about bra, uh, nah. I just, uh, nah. I don't know. Some people suck. But I think that's, that's um. And I don't even. Uh, someone asked me. They said, you know, you haven't had training so how do you know because she's seen my short films and she she says i really love what you you do how did you know certain things would work out or how did you how do you have a vision or how do you even know your vision's good um the thing is you just hire people that are way better than you so if if they like it then you know you're on the right track but it's also um just hire really good people you are as good as your weakest link. And if you're the weakest link, then you're in good hands. So I, there, nothing slows you down more than dealing with people that are below you. I don't mean that mm-hmm. in you're below me, get off, like kind of thing. But the only way you're going to grow and get better is by working with people that are way more experienced than you. So um, my partner and I, we're constantly around people that know more than us. Mm-hmm. So, and we've grown so much in just two years and I have in the past 10 years because I feel like I've been working with people that are at my level or lower. So I'm always at the top and I never got anywhere. I'm always dragging people along and, you know, they're, they, they slow you down so much. If you are working with someone that's, twice as experienced as you, you grow twice as fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I, and you learn so much in such a short amount of time. I mean, I've been writing for a long time and in two years I learned more just from the people I work with about writing uh, in two years when I have in about 10. Yeah, I, I'm i of the similar mindset. I like to be in a higher echelon. I like to feel a little bit out of my comfort zone. I like to feel like I'm the, the, the weakest link, like you put it, because yeah. I, I feel like being the slowest player on the field does yeah. push you to, to do your best. Mm-hmm. And when you are working with people that you feel are not pushing you, it's mm-hmm. easier to sit back on your own heels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like having the fire lit under my ass. Yeah. I think you do more work mm-hmm. when you're... Um, when you're at the top. Yeah. yeah. You're just stuck doing everything because everyone sucks. <laughs> you do feel like you so, have more to prove as well. Yeah, and I find also I what I 
never do, and I recommend people do, is never try to show those people that you know just as much as them. No, Because totally. then what's the point? No. You know, they they want to, they see something in you and they know you don't have experience, so they're there to help you. Mm-hmm. So if you are like, yeah, 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 I know, or you try to prove that you know when you don't, uh, people just don't want to work with you. They want mm-hmm. someone that is honest and humble and um, takes in everything. Yeah. You know, I've worked it, uh, with someone, I literally, no film experience, and this guy who was my assistant director sat me down for about two, three hours at Starbucks and went through the entire shoot with me, showed me exactly what we have to do, what has to be planned, and we planned the entire shoot together. He's like, get on the phone, call this person, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I'm renting equipment. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm writing everything out. He goes, read it back to me. And we just sat there forever. And then he goes, all right, good luck. <laughs> that was it. Throws you in the deep end. And then, yeah, and he's like, all right, well, we'll see how this goes. And that was it. I had three hours of prep. And um, and that I learned everything in just those three hours. Just someone sitting you down and you saying, I don't know what I'm doing. And they say, don't worry, you will in three hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's it. That's really so. fortunate to find somebody who's willing to give back in that sort of way, like send the elevator back down once they've already had somebody else open their arms and teach them the way. Yeah. And it's so true about, you know, if you if you present yourself as the all-knowing, like you don't have anywhere to grow, you don't have... No one wants to work with someone like that. The best no one wants to blood. work with a dumb-dumb that thinks they know everything. Yeah. That's the worst. I found yeah. one of the most... Um, common traits with the best creative minds that I've met is that person who's willing to say there are so many things that I don't know and I'm just excited to learn them because that's a person that you want to work with as soon as you have put limits and say like this is what I know and this, these are my boundaries and this is what I'm like I know what I know and that's where I'm working within I'm not willing to grow yeah where are the creative juices how do you create something outside of those you've already created such constructs so the freedom is almost lost in a creative sense yeah yeah and you just uh you have to show you're eager and that you will put in the work and that you are going to show up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I mean, Jeremy told me, I said, thank you so much for your help. And he he said, well, thanks for keep going. A lot of people would have given up because it was That's a year true. of notes. It was a year of notes. And, uh, and finally something clicked. And I said, oh, I get it. I'm lazy. <laughs> That's why it's taken so long. <laughs> I'm lazy. And it just took that extra... Uh, just taking that extra step of just exploring it a little further, just mm-hmm. thinking a little bit more, and you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, Might sound cliche, but it really persistence, <laughs> persistence really is key. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's just a marathon. <laughs> this conversation marathon. This actually um, relates to my one cool thing, and it's getting to be that time. So. <laughs> Uh, let's move into our one cool things. Or we like to call them one cool actionable things. Um, it can be whatever you want, just something cool that you experience or that like comes to the top of your head. Um, and mine is the exercise that I was doing with Lewis Bomander, and it's a way to deconstruct a scene that I had never done before. And um, it's in that similar mindset where you're keeping yourself open to things that you don't know. And so you're literally walking in to the audition process. We, we set it up as an audition process and you're walking in having not even read the scene. So you haven't even opened those pages. You're stepping into the audition and your reader sitting opposite you actually reads out loud. You're not looking at the script. You're, you're maintaining eye contact and you're on camera and, and you're listening to your reader read the slug line, the interior um, Molly's house day. Uh, and then the description, Molly and Jim stand at the kitchen counter sipping coffees and there's a tension that is palpable between them. Uh, and then he'll also read Jim's lines. And then as soon as it gets to a point where you have a line, he'll point to you. That's when you're allowed to look at the script and you read that line. So you're experiencing cool. it all for the very first time. And even if they're speaking too loud, like you or sorry, not too loud, too, um, too quickly, you can stop them, ask them to read it again. You keep going back until you actually understand what that setting and what, like everything, every little bit you're chewing into. And as soon as you get to a point in the script where you have like an aha moment where it's like, oh, that's some new context that I didn't understand about my character or about the scene um, at the very onset, 
you stop and then you go back again and you say, so how does that change how everything I just did came out? How do, how do we go back? And now that we have that context, not only have we done it in a very fresh way that wasn't limited by that following context, mm -hmm. but now we have another layer that we can see how it might change, a different filter. And then you do it again and you get to another point where it's like, oh, she's a vampire. It's post-apocalyptic sort of world. <laughs> it's like, cool, that's a new piece of context that changes the way that I see the scene. Mm -hmm. Go back to the beginning again. Now, how does that change it? So you have you know, three different ways that you can take it. Um, and so every time you hit this point of like an aha moment or just new context that can change anything in the scene, you go back and you do it again. And you keep going through um, your material so that you're also, say, whatever that second scene that you're doing for the camera is down the road that's on page like 85 you don't know what's happening just as the character doesn't know what's happening in that first scene so you're mm -hmm. allowing yourself to actually live in the moment a little bit more that's really cool i really enjoy it it's my new favorite way so like i've i've now started deconstructing scenes and doing my prep work in such a slower way i was already pretty slow with like <laughs> Anything and everything that would trigger a reference for me. I'm like, oh, it's you know kind of similar to that genre I'll go off and like spend an hour googling down the rabbit hole yeah. of that genre or that genre. like you know, oh, it's very Emma Watson uh, circa What was that? Scarlet A or what? Easy A. Oh, of, easy A. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like cool. It kind of makes me think of that character and then I spend like an hour watching. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way like I mean I think because we've all been in the industry for so long, like, I don't look at a script the same like I used to. Like, I don't highlight my words anymore, yeah. and, you know, like, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, for me, it's more the research and the tone, like, because that's what, as an actor, like, as long as you understand the story, those lines are going to come. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, like, learning, and that's what I do. Like, like when I did Murdoch, I literally watched, like, the whole last season on, on Netflix just to understand the tone and, like, not be in the wrong genre. Yeah. You know, like, when I worked on a Hallmark show, they won, like, the, I think I said this before, the director was like, that's too HBO. I need you in Hallmark. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, so, you know, you got to change your tone. So yeah. It's like, it is very important, and I, I, that's an amazing exercise. Yeah. That. And that comes from the research yeah. of understanding the industry. It's like, would HBO put a show like this on their network? Yeah. No. Oh, cool. Then I understand it's a little like, bit more of like the... It's like the like script note from that Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> Red. The what? It's like the Christmas... Like the, a note that I would get with that Christmas movie that you uh, read. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> As, I can remember some of your faces that were like, this is definitely not Hallmark, Angie. You should really change this. <laughs> well, but like even just staying abreast with like the mergers that are going on right now, yeah. I think it's like Disney and Fox, for yeah. instance. That's um, interesting. Yeah, but I think they'll probably, you know keep their own names to be able to yes. still keep that genre, like the, their styles of, yeah, of shows that they put out. I'm just wondering yeah. what FX, kind of like show is going to come out. a lot more edgier, you yeah. know? It's, yeah. 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 And they do, that, guy, like, come on. they do that purposefully so that yeah. they can play something that is not Hallmark. Yeah. It's yeah. like, put it under a different name, people don't have the associative connotations that are already attached to what's coming exactly. out. Very true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyways. Do you have a one cool thing? It's so funny, you were talking about Louis Bomander and when, the crying, and I had a very similar experience. The first class I had with him, uh, I was going through like this breakup, and the scene was chasing Amy. So it did oh. not call for this at all. Oh, great. And, uh, so, and an exercise he did, I actually used on an actor that and I was directing, and the results were amazing. I said, oh my god, Louis, you're the best. <laughs> he just asks you questions or he just has you repeat things to yourself. Yeah. So I think in that scene, that chasing Amy scene, he said something about um, being un like, I'm unlovable. So you just repeat these words to yourself and it gets you to hear them. <laughs> yeah. And even if you say it to yourself, just saying it to yourself, it creates that emotion mm -hmm. or it just sparks all this insecurity that you have. And I did the entire scene crying. No, it was Clark's. It wasn't even chasing Amy. It was Clark's. Oh my Clark's. god! It was yes. Clark's. That girl, they're in this scene, and she's just like drilling him. So I'm drilling him, crying the entire scene. That's hilarious. And That's I was just awesome. like, "What do you think you didn't do this? Why are you over there? What are you talking about? Why are you, why are you talking about it? Like I just, 
was bawling and just trying to move on with the scene. Oh my god. And then it got to the point where I was <laughs> smiling like a psycho because I was trying to get out of it. And he goes, Well, that was it. That was interesting. <laughs> oh my God, that's and I saw everyone's face of just like, that was great. I'm like, no, that was that was terrible. That was not at all what it was. <laughs> I said I just had a, a breakdown. That you literally were all just watching a breakdown happening in the form of a clerk scene. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. So it was. Uh, who needs therapy? Uh, right? so, but that, no, it, it sounds like yeah. like going back to what we were saying about therapy and like saying the thing out loud, yeah. as, as opposed to like as a character just saying the lines until you say it enough times that you actually hear it. And you're like, oh, you didn't even know it was there. Because yeah. sometimes you don't yeah. listen to the words that are actually coming out of your own mouth as a character. It's like you just memorize lines, and you just say them, you hit your yeah. mark, and you say it with a smile because the commercial director told you to say it. So it's like you're not fucking feeling anything. Yeah. So you say things enough times, almost like Meisner method, like you repeat it to to the point where the words are you realize it's just a constructed language and they mean nothing because we the world is empty and meaningless and it is empty and meaningless that it is empty and meaningless and we impregnate our own meaning into the world via language and then hearing what that actually means to you and how it hits you mm-hmm. it, like sometimes it just drives you insane it is yeah. very therapeutic approach to, and he's a very psychological coach mm-hmm. yeah he's, he's great so that was that's so my, cool. what, our, our Lewis cool thing <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you have a Lewis specific cool thing um he's gonna have so many I miss clients, Lewis I'll say that much oh. I need to go back to him soon um I uh, but both of those like I mean the, the repeating back one is amazing um just, I don't know. Your cool thing doesn't have to be Lewis specific. My <laughs> wife. Is, that I don't have a one cool thing today, guys. Oh, man. I know, I wasn't prepared. Oh, that's fine. It's just one thing that we have to do for every episode. <laughs> but we've already had two, so I'm We did. There you go. <laughs> we did. We had, that's why we bring guests on as well, so we have so different things. So doesn't have to do her homework. So Tani doesn't have to do her homework. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you so much for coming. And thank you for having me. Leading the episode with us. Um, I'm really excited to see this table read with a metronome, please record it. And let's put it up on our <laughs> yes, site. Let's, please. It'd be so fantastic. Before you go, how, so off. <laughs> how can people, if they want to follow you and find out what you're doing, where can people reach you? Uh, you can follow me. My Instagram and Twitter is tarangela underscore yo. And uh, my website's angelacavalin.com. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And bye! Tanya farted again. <laughs>